Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome again to Alpine Church. We are so glad that you are here with us today. If you are, again, new here or visiting, we are so glad that you are here to uh, pursue God with us. Um, and I just want to say uh, hello to everyone. Some of you, if you are really relatively new, you might be thinking, oh, here's a, some random guest speaker we have with us here today, which is great. Um, I am, in some ways, a random guest speaker, uh, but in other ways, I'm not. I feel right at home because if you don't know me, uh, my name Steve and my family and I had the privilege of being part of Alpine Church for many, many years. I was on staff here for uh, almost 12 years as a pastor and uh, had some of the best years of my life being a part of what God is doing here in Alpine Church, seeing it grow from when we first came here, just one small little church in one location uh, up in Washington Terrace to seeing what God has done now. Uh, so it is such a joy to be back here at Alpine Church. It feels really like coming home coming here and seeing so many people. It is really a joy to be here with you. Um, part of the reason why, if you're new, you don't recognize me is because even though we were a part of Alpine for many, many years, uh, a, a little more than six years ago, uh, God called our family to leave Utah and we moved to the East African country of Ethiopia where we serve as missionaries now. And so I've been in Africa for the last few years, which is why you might not recognize me. And, uh, but every couple of years, we get a chance to come back home here to, to Utah to visit our family. Uh, family and friends and, and Alpine and see everyone. So it is such a joy to be back here this summer and, uh, and just to say hello and to say thank you. Uh, really part of why we come back is we want to have a chance to say thank you to people like you, to people like Alpine Church who are a huge part of uh, allowing us to serve over in Ethiopia. Alpine is our, our home church and our sending church, which means uh, the finances that it's required for us to serve over there, a big percentage of that comes right here from Alpine, uh, from the church as a whole and from many of you as individuals who uh, partner with us and support us and allow us to be there and serve uh, doing God's work over in Ethiopia. So we just want to say thank you and say how grateful we are to, to Alpine and to so many of you as individuals. And I also want to say hello on behalf of my wife and kids. My kids are up at Summerfest with some of your kids having a good time up there. Hopefully they've survived, won't come back too sunburned. And, uh, and my wife, um, my much better half, she says hello, but she is leading worship at the Layton campus this morning. So they put us to work when we come home. So she's leading worship over there and I'm preaching here. So she really wishes she could be here, but she sends her love and greetings. So Again, I'm so excited to be here, and I'm grateful that the pastors have given me permission today to kind of share uh, a message that God has really put on my heart about uh, the nations, about God's heart for the nations. And normally, if you're kind of new here to Alpine, we've been going through a series in the book of Mark every week, kind of going through that. But we're taking a little break today. We're going to look at something different, and then we'll get back into Mark next week. So I'm really excited to be able to share here today. And as I was thinking about this, I, I was uh, coming back to Utah. You, you meet people, and some people I've noticed really sort of have kind of their thing that kind of uh, is the thing that they're most passionate about, the thing that they love, and it kind of is almost like their, their whole persona, their whole identity, and they kind of wear it on their sleeve. So you have people that maybe you're going to come to the, the barbecue or you know, like the, the car show. Have you ever met the guy that has like his classic car and that's kind of his deal, right? Like it's his whole thing. It's his passion. It's what he talks about. Or maybe it's a sports team. Like you love, like if you're really godly, you love the Seattle Seahawks. 
and uh, less, less so, you might like the Broncos, or if you're really dim, maybe like the Rams or something like that, but, but uh, sorry, I had to throw that out there for Pastor Jared, but you know, whatever it is, like you have your team, or you have, like maybe you're into fishing, or hunting, or maybe it's a political thing, and you got the bumper sticker on your car, or whatever it is, you know the kind of people I'm talking about, they have their thing, their passion, and you kind of know if you're going to have a conversation with this person, at some point, it is inevitably going to come around to that issue. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, oh, here comes Bill. We're going to be talking about fishing soon. Like, I know how this goes. Every time I talk to Bill, it ends up how the fish he just recently caught. So I love those kind of people. They're kind of fun to be around. But as I was thinking, did you know that, that God has a thing like that? That God has this thing, this passion that really sort of defines his whole persona, defines his identity. It's what he cares about more than anything else. And I guarantee if you were to meet God and talk to him in person today, that the conversation would come around to this topic. You know what that is? You know what God's biggest passion is? It's you. God's deepest desire is to know you, to be in a relationship with you. Now just stop and, and think about that for a minute, how crazy that is, that the creator of the universe, his desire, more than anything else, is to know you. But here's the thing, it's not just you, it is everyone. It is every person on this planet who has been created in his image. You see, God's deepest desire and passion in this world is to be in a relationship with people in all the nations of this world. Because God has created all of the people, all the nations of this world. God has created them all. He loves them all. And his desire is to know them. But here is the problem. While God created all of us and wants to be in relationship with everyone, the vast majority of the world doesn't yet know him. In fact, if you kind of look at the studies, probably around 80% of the world doesn't have any sort of relationship with God. Around 20% of the world, 25% maybe, claim to be some form of Christian. But we all know that just because you use the name Christian doesn't mean that you really know God, at least the God of the Bible. And so probably 80%, that's 6 billion people, on this planet, whom God has created and loves and desires to connect with, they don't know him. And that breaks the heart of God. I hope it breaks your heart as well. And so what we are called to do as followers of God, as those who do know God, is to try to shine his light and to share his truth in the world so that those 80% of the world come to know him. That's the responsibility that God has given to every follower of Jesus. Now, I know not everyone here today is a follower of Jesus, and that's no problem. I'm so glad you're here. That's awesome. Please keep coming. Please keep trying to figure out God, pursuing him, get to know him. But if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sin, I want you to know something. God has a purpose for your life. And it's bigger than just kind of getting through and hoping to have a, a nice retirement someday. God has a, a purpose for your life, and it's about helping everyone in the world come to know him. 
And specifically, in the world of missions, that's what that my wife and I, our family, we are missionaries. What that means is simply we are trying to uh, solve this problem of the billions of people who live in the world today without Christ. We are trying to cross those barriers to bring the gospel to all the nations. Right? That's what a missionary is. Now, that's, that's a missionary can be kind of a loaded term. Especially in Utah, a certain image comes into your mind when I say I'm a missionary. You say, you look a little old to be a missionary. No tie. Are you sure you're a real missionary? But, you know, really all in the Bible, all a missionary is, a missionary is just someone who is crossing some sort of barrier, whatever it might be, to get the gospel to where it's not yet gone. You see, those billions of people, they're living behind barriers to knowing God. Maybe it's a geographic barrier. They just live really remotely. Maybe it's a cultural barrier or a language barrier or a socioeconomic barrier. There are all sorts of things that hold people back from knowing God the way God desires. And so the role of a missionary is to go to those far off, those hard places, and to try to cross those barriers and get the gospel to where it's not yet gone. Now you might be thinking, okay, cool, that's great. Glad y'all are doing that. But hey, missions, this whole nations, the gospel, far off places, that's not my gig. You might be saying, hey, I'm just a, a dude living in Utah, right? I, I just I kind of have my job here. I live here. I'm happy to be living in Roy and West Haven and Clearfield, whatever. Like, that's great. You go do your thing in Africa. That really doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, here's what I really want to challenge you with today. Hopefully, if you believe these statements, if you believe the idea that God really wants to be in relationship with everyone, and yet there are billions of people who live and die without a relationship with God, then hopefully you should be saying, well, I want to be a part of changing that because this is God's heart. And what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus, is one that says, more and more, I want my life to conform to that of God's. I want my passions, my desires to line up with God's passions, with his desires. That's what a Christian is. You are trying to more and more reflect who God is in your own life. And so if this is God's heart, if you're a follower of Jesus, it should be part of your heart as well. And so that's what I want to try to demonstrate today. This isn't just some little thing. This isn't just my idea. You see this from cover to cover in this book. All throughout God's word, you see this passion that God has for the nations, for all people, and that's what I want to look at today. Now, what I want to try to do is, is to try to connect this a little more close to home to you, because I don't want to throw out numbers, like six billion people. That's like, what does that even mean? Like, that's crazy. That's just like some giant number. I can't even wrap my head around that. So let me try to narrow that down a little bit and uh, introduce you to some ideas. Uh, the first idea I want to introduce you to is what we in the world of missions call the 1040 window. So the 1040 window, if you look on this screen here, you kind of see that white box, a little hard to see there, but those countries that are kind of in orange, that represents the 1040 window, and that's roughly about 10 degrees above the equator to 40 degrees above the equator. And so that, uh, in that part of the world, let me just share a few things about this part of the world, why, why it matters and why you should be aware of this and care. So did you know that two-thirds of the world's population live inside that 1040 window? So two out of every three people on planet Earth live in one of those nations. 
It's pretty staggering to think about. The vast majority of the world lives there. Here's another thing. Did you know that 85% of the world's poorest people also live inside that window? 85% of the poorest people in the world live inside that window. But maybe here's the most staggering thing that you should care about as a Christian. More than 90% of the people in that window don't know God. 90% of the people in this window are, are completely cut off from a relationship with God. And in fact, in this window, there live about 4 billion people who are what we would call unreached with the gospel. 4 billion people who are unreached with the gospel. Let me clarify what I mean by that. It's, it's important to know this term. There's a difference between somebody who is unsaved to somebody who's not a Christian and somebody who is unreached. Here's the difference. An unsaved person is someone who has not accepted the gospel of Jesus. Maybe they've heard it. They kind of know about it, but they say, you know, that's not for me. So you live around a lot of unsaved people, people who, who know or have heard the gospel of Jesus but say, no thanks, that's not for me. That's an unsaved person, somebody who hasn't accepted the gospel. An unreached person is somebody who doesn't have access to the gospel. An unreached person is somebody who doesn't live in a place where they have a Christian neighbor or a Christian church in their community or, or Christian media that they can tune into. An unreached person lives essentially with no access to the gospel. So you might say, hey, I live in an unreached area. I would say, no, you don't. You don't have any unreached neighbors. You don't have any unreached friends. You don't have any unreached coworkers. You don't have any unreached family members. Do you know how I know they're, not, they're, not, they're unreached? Because they're your neighbor. Because they're your coworker. They're your family member. And so by very fact that they know you as a Christian, they are not unreached. Now, you might not be doing your job of getting the gospel to them, but they are not unreached because they have you. But again, in this part of the world, there are 4 billion people who don't have that Christian neighbor or coworker or family member to introduce them to Jesus. Now, again, still let me try to bring that down even a little bit more because that's kind of hard to, to get around, 4 billion people. Let me introduce you to my favorite country in Africa, Ethiopia. This is where my family and I live and serve in this little green circle, part of that 1041 of the nation of Ethiopia. And we serve there with a mission organization involved in lots of different things. Uh, my wife is a teacher um, in uh, a couple different school contexts, teaching uh, international students and teaching Ethiopian kids. And I serve uh, in, in a variety of capacities, but mainly my job is working with church leaders in Ethiopia in Muslim-dominated areas, trying to teach church leaders and church members about how to love and engage their neighbors with the gospel of Jesus. And so this is where we live and work in the, the beautiful country of Ethiopia. Now, I know probably a lot of you don't know a whole lot about Ethiopia. That's okay. Let me just give you a little quick intro to Ethiopia. So in Ethiopia, 120 million people live there. You might not realize that. Some people think it's a little dinky country someplace. It's a massive country. That's a third the size of America. So it is a huge country. 
in population. And Ethiopia isn't just one. There's not like the Ethiopian ethnic group. There are actually 86 different unique ethnicities that live inside the nation of Ethiopia. Unique languages, unique cultures, unique religious ideas, all sort of shoved together in this part of Africa. And again, as you look around its neighbors, you might, it's kind of hard to see on the map, but you can see the names of those countries that surround Ethiopia. They are predominantly Muslim countries. And so Ethiopia is a predominantly Muslim nation. It has a long, interesting Christian heritage to it, but today the majority religion are Muslims. And so 65 million people live in Ethiopia, and they are unreached with the gospel. That means they live in communities, again, where they have no access to a church, no access to the Bible in their language, no access to a believer. 65 million people are unreached with the gospel. So that's Ethiopia, where we live and serve. But now let me narrow it down even a little bit more to a particular region in Ethiopia. This is the region of Jimma. I wanted to introduce you to Jimma because this is where I do a lot of my work and ministry. I spend a lot of time here in Jimma. Jimma is the coffee capital of Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is the coffee capital of the world. And I'm from Seattle, and I can say the home of Starbucks, but Ethiopian coffee is way better. So if you ever go and, and have Ethiopian coffee someplace, it, it probably came from Jimma. But Jimma is a region of about 7 million people, and that's twice the size of the state of Utah. But 99.5% of these people are unreached. They're totally in, in Muslim communities. Uh, Jimma is a very poor place. It's predominantly an agricultural place. And most people live in very remote areas and, again, have no access to the gospel. So there's the world to the 1040 window to Ethiopia to Jimma. I want to narrow it down just one more time for you so you can try to get your head around the kind of people that we're talking about today, the kind of people that God has a heart for, and I hope you do as well. I want to introduce you to a man I've come to know over the last few years named Hussein. There's a picture I took of Hussein. He's really a friendly guy. He doesn't like to smile in photos, but he's a nice guy. So Hussein, you can, might imagine by his name, is a Muslim. He's grown up his whole life in an Islamic context. Everyone he knows is Muslim. And he grew up in a particular flavor of Islam that is quite radical. You might know not all Muslims are terrorists or anything like that, but uh, there are certain aspects, certain denominations within Islam which are more radical, and this is where Hussein comes from. So he grew up in, in a type and flavor of Islam that loves to persecute Christians. And he's described to me how he's been a part of many, many church burnings throughout his life. It's one of, the, one of the ways they persecute Christians in Jimma. If the Christians do manage to build a church, the Muslims will come along and burn it down. It happens on a regular basis, and he is part of that. So again, as you think about people like this, think about the world down to an individual real-life person named Hussein. Maybe you're asking the question, what does this have to do with me? Man, that's a bummer that there's people like that out there in the world, but, but again, I'm just a guy in Utah. What does this have to do with me? Well, again, my challenge for you is to know that God loves people like Hussein, and God has a passion to see him in a relationship with himself, and you should love and have that same passion as well. Again, if you're a Christian and you want your heart to line up with God's heart, 
You need to understand this, that God has a passion for the nations, and he has a plan to reach the nations, and if you want to line up with the heart of God, you need to be a part of it. Now, what I want to just do here really quickly is I want to show this to you from God's word, because I don't want you to believe this just because I'm a nice guy and I'm standing up here, because at Alpine, one of our values is we never want you to believe what we say just because we say it, because we're not authoritative. But what we want you to believe is what God says in his word, because this is where authority lies, in his word, in his scripture. And so anything we say up here, we want it to be true to God's word. So I want to show you from God's word this reality that God has a passion for the nations and a plan to reach them, and that you're a part of it. Now, just really quickly, I could, I could look to so many passages in the Bible to describe God's passion for the nations. There are literally hundreds of verses that describe this. But I, I don't want to get in trouble with Pastor Jared and go too long this morning. Um, some of you might remember me. I have a bit of a reputation of being the long-winded preacher. Um, and let me tell you, I've been living in Africa for the last six years, and it hasn't helped. Because in Africa, man, if you preach for less than an hour, they're like, dude, you ripped us off. Come on. You're just getting started after an hour. So, uh, but I'm not going to do that here. So uh, what I want to do is just quickly go through Scripture and highlight a few verses that demonstrate God's passion for the nations. Now, actually, it all starts back in the very beginning in the book of Genesis. You know, in the book of Genesis, God created the world, and then, spoiler alert, we screwed it up. Adam and Eve come along, they sin, and everything gets broken. But God doesn't say, forget you all, I'm done. God says, I want to redeem this broken world. I want to draw them back to me. And so God starts all this off in Genesis chapter 12. He goes to a man named Abram, who later his name would become Abraham. But he says to Abram, I'm going to start with you my process of redeeming this world. And so it says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God comes to Abraham and he says, I got a plan for you, Abraham. I'm going to do something great with you. Abraham would go on to be the father of the nation of Israel. But God says from the very beginning, my plan isn't just for you, Abraham. It's not even just for Israel. Ultimately, my plan is that through you, I'm going to bless all the peoples on earth. You see that? By the way, in the Bible, when you see the word nations or peoples or Gentiles, these are all words the Bible uses just to describe all the different ethnicities and people on the earth. When the Bible says nations, it doesn't, he's not thinking of the, the you know, 200 political nations in our world today. He's th it's thinking of all the different ethnic groups. These are the peoples, the people groups on earth. And God says, I want to bless all these unique cultures and languages and peoples on earth. And God, by the way, repeats this, not just to Abraham. He says it to Isaac. He says it to Jacob. He says it to Moses. He says it to Joshua. He says it to David. He says it to Solomon. He says it to Isaiah. He says it to Micah. All throughout the Old Testament, God keeps repeating this. My plan is to bless all the nations. Then in the Old Testament, as you continue on again, there's so many more verses we could look at, but we skip ahead, and, and we see the temple of God. You might know the temple in the Old Testament. God had designed for there to be this, this special building where people could come and encounter God because his presence was going to dwell in that physical building in a unique way. And so if you wanted to meet God, you went to the temple, right? When God 
finished the temple, and Solomon prays over the temple. Solomon prays this special prayer, and he says the reason why this temple exists in 1 Kings chapter 8 is so that all of the peoples of earth might know your name and fear you, so that all the people on earth might know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. You see, God's purpose for the temple in the Old Testament, it wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for the nation of Israel. The temple was meant to be a shining light to all the nations around it, that there's only one God. And if you want to know him, you can come here and encounter him. Now, fast forward, if you know the New Testament, you know that when Jesus comes along, the whole temple thing changes. God says, I no longer need to dwell in physical buildings anymore. Instead, there is a new temple. Know where it is? It's in you. God says, my presence no longer dwells in some physical building anymore. Now my presence dwells in each one of my followers. The Bible says that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the temple of God. Which is pretty crazy to think about. But what that means is this purpose continues for you. So if you are now the temple of God, that means that you are designed to be a shining light to the world around you so that everyone sees your life and says, I know that there is a God. And this guy knows who it is. See, your life is meant to be an example to all the world, to all the nations around you. And so when David goes on and, and he sings this beautiful song of praise in Psalm 96, he says, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord and praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Are you getting the picture here? This is God's heart, not just for one person, not just for one type of person, for one ethnic group, for one race, God's desire, his love is for all the peoples, for all the nations of this world. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we come to the New Testament and Jesus picks up on this idea. Jesus spends his whole life in ministry proclaiming God's truth, having his disciples follow along and tell them, you're going to be fishers of men, you're going to go share the truth of God with people. And at the very end of his ministry on earth, Jesus gathers the disciples and he gives what has come to be known as the Great Commission. He says, here's my plan for you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Disciple just means a follower of God, somebody who's pursuing God. And Jesus says, here's my plan for you people. If you're going to be my follower, I want you to go out and try to make more followers. And where do I want you to do that? Among all the nations, among all the people. And then just a little bit later, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, so his last, literally his last moments physically on earth, he gathers the disciples again and he gives them this reminder of this. He says, but now that I'm leaving, but now you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So Jesus says, I'm going, but the Holy Spirit's going to come now, and here's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life, so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, remember I said to go and make disciples of all nations? Let me clarify what I mean by that. I mean, it starts right here in your hometown of Jerusalem. And it means in Judea, which is kind of like the state or the region around Jerusalem. And it means in Samaria. Samaria was like the enemies. They were like the people over there they didn't like. They were like all the people moving from California, coming to Utah. I'm just kidding. If you're from California, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. 
Thanks for messing up our real estate prices here. But, you know, so the Samaritans were this people that no one liked. They were, like, different than them, looked different. And then he says, but now, not just there, to the ends of the earth. I want you to go start here and then a little bit bigger and then a little bit bigger and ultimately go to the ends of the earth. That is God's plan for all of his followers, to go and be his witnesses. And so when the Apostle Paul comes along, the first great missionary of the New Testament, he writes this amazing book, the book of Romans. Hopefully if you're a Christian, you've read the book of Romans. It is this thick, rich, theological uh, letter in the New Testament that is so full of truth. And Paul tells us the purpose of this most famous letter in the New Testament. At the very end of it, in Romans chapter 16, he says this, This gospel, everything he's written, has now been revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. So he says, all this truth you've been given in Romans and everywhere else, it's been given to you so that all of the Gentiles, again, the word Gentile just means nations. It's the word ethne, from where we get ethnic group. The purpose of revealed scripture is so that all of the nations might come to the obedience that comes through faith. This is God's heart. And finally, if you still don't believe me, you just got to look to the end. We started in Genesis, but look to how the story ends in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the New Testament. We get this glimpse of heaven, this picture of heaven, and here is what we see in Revelation chapter 7. It says, after I looked, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language, and they were all standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That is what heaven is going to look like. This beautifully diverse group of people, all standing around, united by one thing. Though we're going to look different, we're going to speak different languages, we're going to wear different clothes, but we have one thing in common. We are standing before the throne of Jesus, worshiping him all together. That is what heaven will look like. That is where the whole trajectory of history is going. And again, my challenge to you is, do you want to be a part of that? This is God's heart. Is it your heart as well? God has this heart for every person on earth, for every nation on earth. Is that your heart? And if it's not, then you need to ask yourself, do I really know God? Am I really trying to follow God? You see, there's this challenge that's in the heart of every human being. And there is this, this thing in us that is ethnocentric, that kind of thinks that the world should probably look like us, that my people, whatever that is, my type of person, my ethnic group, my race, my socioeconomic group, my geographic area, whatever it is, that we're kind of the best. And everyone else kind of comes behind us, and we're kind of the most important thing. There is this ethnocentrism, this, this racism, whatever you want to call it, that is in the heart of every human being on earth. It's not unique here. I live in Africa. It's an incredibly racist place, an incredibly ethnocentric place. Every tribe thinks that they're the most important tribe. It is just in our human heart. But God says, that's not my desire. Because look at heaven. Heaven is this beautifully rich, diverse place with people from every nation and tribe and people and language all there worshiping God. And so if your view of heaven looks a lot like Utah, 
whatever that means in your mind, (laughs) then you probably don't really understand what heaven looks like. Because it is this beautiful place with people from every nation. Is that your heart? Do you want to be a part of that? Because that's God's heart. But here's the thing. God not only has a, a passion for the nations, he's got a plan to reach the nations. Now, God could do that any way he wanted. God could do anything he wanted to do. He's God, right? He could literally write the gospel message in the sky in giant pink letters and say, believe this or you're going to burn. He could do whatever he wants. But God didn't make it that plan. His plan is to use regular people like you and me to get the message of salvation to all the nations. You see, God has this plan for people to do two things, to go and to share the truth, to go and to preach, to go and be witnesses. Again, just look back at his words, starting back in Genesis. Remember what God said to Abram? He said, the first thing is you got to go. you got to leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and I'm going to send you someplace. I'm not going to tell you where it is yet. You'll know when you get there, but you got to pick up and you got to go. Getting the gospel to the nations always involves someone leaving what is comfortable and going to that place that needs to hear it. That's why Jesus repeated this again in the Great Commission. He said, therefore, go, because if we don't go, if there's not people actually going to the nations, then the message is never going to get there. And so people have to go, and what do we do as we go? Well, it says we're supposed to go and be his witnesses. What is a witness? It's a legal term. What does a witness do? A witness stands in court and says, here's what I saw. Here's what I have seen. Here's what I have experienced. Here's what I believe to be true. Right? There's a difference between a witness and a prosecutor. A prosecutor is there arguing, trying to beat someone up, trying to convince them. But God hasn't called us to be his prosecutors. He's called us to be his witnesses. That says, hey, Here's the Jesus that I've experienced. Here's his word that has changed my life. I just want to tell you about it. That's what we are called to do. And that comes as you open up your mouth and share God's truth. And that's why, again, the Apostle Paul, the great missionary of the New Testament, he starts off in Romans 10. He has this amazing, beautiful picture. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? That is the gospel. That is incredibly good news, that you are all hosed, you are all dead in your sin, apart from God. But anyone who would just put their faith in Jesus, call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. That is incredibly good news. But Paul says, but how can they call on the one that they haven't believed in, and how can they believe in the one they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them And how could anyone preach unless they are sent? The Bible says, hey, there is incredibly good news that you can be saved from your sin. But in order for that to happen, you have to call on the name of the Lord. You've got to believe in it. But how can that person living off in some remote village, how can the person in Roy, Utah, know and believe the gospel unless someone goes and shares it with them? See, this is something that God has ordained this process of regular people going, whether it's to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and sharing, opening up their mouth and sharing the good news of Jesus. Let me just encourage you again, if you're a follower of Christ, I hope that you are doing this. I hope that you start by loving your neighbor. You should love your neighbor. We're all called to to love the people around us. But if you just are a nice person, you're a nice guy, 
you give to the Boy Scouts when they knock on the door, you buy the fundraiser candy from the neighbor, you keep your lawn nice and short, you show up to work, you're a good citizen. If you're a nice person, that's great. I hope you do that. Mow your lawn, you know, be a nice guy. But if you think, hey, I'm doing my thing, that's good. I'm just shining my little light for Jesus in my little corner of the world. That's not enough. Because we start with love, but ultimately the way that your neighbor, your coworker, and the way the guy in the jungle across the world, it's the same way. How are they going to know the truth? Because someone has to open their mouth and share it with them. See, this is God's plan to send people to every corner of the world and to proclaim his truth. So again, the question I want to end this with today is, what does that have to do with you and me? What is your part in it? Like I said, I believe that God has called every Christian to be engaged in his passion for the nations. God's heart for the nations is not something he puts just on a few people to care about, and the rest of us can just focus on our little world here in our neighborhood. No, God, this is God's heart, his passion, and he wants every single one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, God wants you to be engaged in that which he cares about. He wants you to be engaged in this trajectory of history which is going toward that picture in Revelation chapter 7. So how can you be part of it? The first thing is this, something I think that every one of you, if you're a Christian, you should be a part of, is praying. God wants you to pray. God works through the prayers of his people. He didn't have to, but that's how he chooses to work. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you will start praying for the nations. Praying for those people in far off places that need to hear the truth. Pray for those who are going that God would provide for them and protect them and encourage them. Pray for people that you might not even know their name. Pray that God would open up their heart to his truth. If you want some help on that, let me introduce you to a great resource. It's called joshuaproject.net. There's a great website all about the nations of the world and how you as a Christian can pray for them. So if you go to that website slash pray, there's all sorts of great prayer resources there, prayer apps you can download on your phone to be praying for the people of this world. So God wants all of you to pray, and I believe God wants some of you to give, to give financially toward what God is doing around the world. Not everyone, but some of you, I think God wants you to be a part of giving. This is how God, again, has designed everything he does in this world to work. That's how the church works. It's how missions works. And my hope is that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you will recognize, I want to give toward this. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to give financially to support the work of missions around the world. In particular, I hope that you will give toward work in the 1040 window because that's where the biggest need is. And the reality is you know that 97% of the money given toward missions falls outside of the 1040 window. Only 3% of money given toward missions ends up in the 1040 window. So Christians are very generous, but a small percentage of it goes to that. Here's a little stat to bring that home. Do you know what that means? Last year, Americans spent more money buying Halloween costumes for their pets than Christians sent to the gospel in the 1040 window. God, I believe, wants some of you to give, and then I think God wants a few of you to go. Not everyone is called to, to go to the ends of the earth. We're all called to go to our Jerusalem and our Judea. You're all called to go to your neighborhood and your community. But some of you, a few of you, are probably called to go to the nations. 
You might go on a short-term trip. Alpine does all kinds of different short-term trips to different places. You might go on kind of a mid-term trip. Maybe you're a student. You can do a semester overseas. Maybe you're retired. You can go spend a couple months serving overseas. God wants some of you to go, and God might be calling some of you to go long-term. God might be calling some of you to actually pick up and move to another country and serve him there. And you might think, hey, man, that's not for me. That's not my deal. Hey, just let me just encourage you and remind you, when God put this call on my wife and I's heart, we were just regular folk living here in Ogden, Utah. We're not super spiritual or super advanced or anything like that. We're just regular people with a house and a mortgage, kids in school, and God called us. So you might just think, hey, I'm just a regular guy with a house and a mortgage. God might call you too. I don't think, again, this is for everyone, but don't assume that God is not calling you. Be open to what the Spirit might say to you because it takes people to go. You can summarize it like this. You know, those first things, praying and giving. This is part of the, what it takes to send someone. It takes, it takes people to be involved in sending the work of the gospel around the world, and it takes some people to go. So there are senders and there are goers. One of my favorite pastors said this. What that means is that every Christian falls into one of three categories. You are either a sender or a goer or you're disobedient. Every one of you falls in one of those categories. You're a sender, you're a goer, or you're not following the heart of God. Let me end with this. I started off earlier introduced you to this man, Hussein, that I've come to know over the last couple of years. Again, Hussein is a guy that's grown up his entire life, very Muslim, persecuting Christians. But something really interesting happened in Hussein's life a few years ago. In the town of Jim a few years ago, Hussein and his father and his brothers all got together, a bunch of people in the town, they went and they burnt down a Christian church. Again, one of many they'd done. They burnt down this church. But the pastor of that church was a man named Gatacho, a pastor that uh, I've gotten to know pretty well over the years and worked with. And Gatacho said, I don't want to just hate this man. I don't want to pursue revenge. I want to show love to him. So Gatacho went out to him, found him at the local tea house where they hang out, and walked up to him and said, you know who I am, right? And Hussein said, yeah, I know who you are. I just burnt your church. And Gatacho said, hey, I just want to tell you that I love you and that I forgive you and that I'm praying for you and that God loves you. And Gatacho began to share and love this man. Ultimately, he gave him a Bible and he said, if you ever want to learn about this Jesus that you like to persecute, if you ever learn, want, to, want to learn about Christians that you like to burn down their churches, I'd love to share with you. And so Hussein began to read God's word. And over about a year's time, ultimately, Hussein became a follower of Jesus. And now, if you zoom this picture out, I cropped it, that's just half the picture. You zoom out, the other half of the picture is there is Pastor Gatacho sitting with Hussein in the rebuilt church that Hussein once burnt down. And Hussein is now not just a follower of Jesus, he's a leader in that local church. You see, that's the power of the gospel. That is what God is wanting to do all over the world because God has a passion for the nations and he's got a plan to reach them and he wants you to be a part of it.